This year, we launched a new Goop travel series called The Goop List. I wanted a way to share annually what I found to be the best of the best, from my favorite places to stay in Italy to a truly special spa in Costa Rica. If you are inspired to travel more this year, perhaps because you perused our recommendations on the Goop list, hosting on Airbnb is excellent for people who frequently travel. The beauty of hosting on Airbnb is that while you're away, someone else can get as much joy from your home as you do. Alongside frequent travelers, Airbnb is also great for those who have extra space or an in-law suite that isn't always being used. If you've stayed at an Airbnb before, you know the unique experience it offers. Now you can share that same experience with others while earning some extra income. To learn more about hosting on Airbnb, head to airbnb.com slash host. Don't hold anything too tightly. Just wish for it, want it, let it come from the intention of real truth for you, and then let it go. For me, our soul is like, it's unbound, it's limitless, but we will use words to limit ourselves. When people stop believing that somebody's got your back or Superman's coming, we turn to ourselves and that's where you become empowered. Courageous participation attracts positive things. I'm Gwyneth Paltrow and this is the Goop Podcast where we bring together visionaries, scientists, healers, artists, and seekers. I'm so grateful that I get to interview these extraordinary thought leaders and share their wisdom with you. And I love listening to the conversations that are led by my co-host and dear friend, Cleo Wade. Cleo is a beautiful poet and author. I deeply admire her and the way she keeps her heart open to the world. Together, we believe that engaging in open-minded, honest, and sometimes difficult conversations has the power to change our lives. All right, over to Cleo. My guest today is writer Cole Arthur Riley. After I read her latest book, Black Liturgies, I knew immediately I wanted to interview Cole for the Goop Pod. The subtitle of her book is Prayers, Poems, and Meditations for Staying Human, which is what we explore in our conversation today. I'm so happy to be able to share Cole's wisdom and beauty with you. Here we go. Cole, I'm so happy to have you on this pod. I loved your new book so much. For everyone listening, it's called Black Liturgies. And it's usually when someone comes on the pod and they have a book, I read the entire book front to back because I'm a Virgo. I have to be very prepared. And your book, is so not meant for that experience. And that is so clear as you're reading what you call your entrance or your introduction. I I think I took a picture of your book and sent it to 10 of my friends. Mm -hmm. And I don't think I've had a book like this that has this daily devotional feeling um, that I have loved as much since I think my friend Sade, maybe almost 20 years ago, gave me one of Avanya Love and Zant's devotionals, very different than this, but it was the first book I, I truly used in that way. And I, and I had it in a place where I had a practice around looking at it every single day. And I haven't felt that way about a book of this nature since yours. So I want to thank you so much for writing it. Thank you. I appreciate that. And thanks for, for reading it and entering and exiting as it makes sense for you. Yeah. Well, so much of how you open this 
book is by doing what I personally have always really loved and something that is, I'd, I'd say a through light in all of your work, but I felt especially grateful to receive in the beginning of this was that your reader is asked by you or gifted by you the freedom to experience this book in the ways and in whatever way life kind of calls on them to use it in that day. So you say, so you can skip a page or lay in witness to the page instead of centering yourself in that writing of that day, or you can skip a day, you can do whatever it is that you need to do, which I think is one of the most useful things for this type of book, because uh, it really relieves the pressure. Was that important to you? Yes, I'm, I appreciate that you noticed it, because it was important to me, especially when you're writing about spirituality or like to a spiritual dimension. I think many of us have known spiritual spaces that are very demanding and that are very, I don't know, controlling. There's a sense of authority. If you do this, you say this, and, and you do it when I say, and you agree with what I, I think and I believe. And there's kind of, not always, but in, in, in many spiritual spaces, I think there can be a demand to kind of fall in line. And I, I really wanted the book to feel you know, subversive in that way, very kind of generous and and open-handed to let people enter the places that feel safe for them and feel right and true and and know that as an author, I'm not going to be threatened if there are pieces of the book that are completely discarded and that are not safe for people to ent enter depending on their story or yeah, or or spiritual places they've known in the past. So yeah, it was it was intentional in that way. So much of how it seems you landed on creating this type of book is your own kind of way that you alchemized your struggle between the idea of religious practice and spiritual abstraction. And what I really appreciated is that in that you kind of pulled away from this pass and fail, which was also why I enjoyed that invitation to live in the book, because everyone will tell you the right and wrong way to use the Bible or uh, whatever religious text there, there is, it is so, or it uses judgment as such a place of fear. And as you say in the book, you, you know, you hope that people, or there, there's one of the prayers in your book um, about removing, you know, the fear that doesn't lead to wisdom. And I so appreciated that because I think a block for so much Christian and, and religious text is that, am I doing it wrong or am I doing it right? Mm -hmm. When I thought about how I wanted to make Black liturgies different in that way, there's a kind of resistance to the ways, you know, I, I, I think white supremacy functions in religious spaces to say that there is only one way, that that's the kind of su supremacist ideology that's mm -hmm. woven in our religious spaces, especially Christian spaces, I think, to say there is only one way, there is only one approach, and that is the truth, and that is superior in some way, and to kind of try to reject that, that notion altogether and say, actually, I'm really open to kind of making and remaking and, and reimagining different ways that the divine can be approached, different ways that our own souls can be approached and, and understood. And um, I'm, I'm much more interested in the questions and the collective journey of the questions mm. than I am the, the answers. Well, in that there's a true acknowledgement of the variety of our lived experience. I mean, I can't tell you how many spiritually rooted books or religious 
based books I've read. And so often I'm like, well, where am I in this? Or where's my mom in this? Or where's this person? And, and I find that it's really hard to, if someone doesn't reject that, this idea of this one right way, meaning there's this one type of life, which, you know, is impossible. It's so hard to relate to and then receive, even if there is wisdom in the text, all, all the gifts there, there are to receive. Mm-hmm. Yes, definitely. I want to back up to your journey into becoming a writer. Something I really noticed um, is, you know, how much you are the writers you acknowledge in becoming a writer. I mean, because there, there's different ways I, th- I find that people enter into um, the writing space in how they tell their own story, right? And your so much of, um, or at least kind of what your bio says is 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 all the the pathways through people that you found writing. To me, I mean, there's all types of writers, but the ones I'm drawn to are either the ones who really kind of take us out of life or those who guide us into confronting life. And then some do both, right? I mean, you you <laughs> know Octavia Butler and the ways in which she is able to do that, where it's you're somehow suspended and confronted all at the same time. And and I love that. I want to know what's kind of the the first author you read who made you feel that you were confronting something within you and then the kind of how the 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 breadcrumbs of all the different writers that led you to who you are I came very late to some of the like great black novelists I I I never read Toni Morrison or James Baldwin or Alice Walker or you know any of, of those greats until college I think once I did find them I like held on to them for dear life Prior to that, I was reading a lot, but just a, a lot. I, I had no real guides. I was going to the library all of the time. I mean, growing up, it was like a haven for me, the library. But when you don't have much direction as a kid, I think libraries are really difficult to navigate. And I, I was a shy and wasn't a very verbal child. So I wasn't going to ask a librarian for help or so I think I was kind of floundering a bit. I, I read a lot of kind of strangely, like, I read a lot of goosebumps and mm-hmm. kind of like strange mystery books as a child. And it, it was really in in writing myself, you know, my 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 father would have us write poems and like short stories to avoid doing chores. Like it, that was the economy in our household was like written words because I was so shy and wasn't speaking. I think that was how my father was trying to draw me out. So it was, you know, you could do the dishes or you could write a poem. Here's the color that you're going to write the poem on, Mm. yellow. And then, you know, he'd set a timer. And so I think I first fell in love with writing in the way that it was bridging my interior world to the world around me because I was all shut up in myself as a little girl. And then when I met Toni Morrison and, and Zora Neale Hurston and Alice Walker and James Baldwin, I felt everything kind of expand and, and realize that it that in, in reading, my story could become someone else's story. Or you you kind of realize that nothing is as solitary as it as it seems. So, you know, Beloved by Toni Morrison absolutely changed my life and is still changing my life. The the pain and the honesty that she writes with, but also I think. In Toni Morrison specifically, there's just this refusal to judge her characters. And you think about a novel like Beloved, which I never want to spoil for people because I'm 
always surprised there that, you know, there are people who truly that it's been preserved for them. They don't know what's going to happen. And I love that. But she deals with really complicated conditions of the heart and the heart is a mother and choices you have to make on behalf of your children and what's survivable, what's, what, what isn't. And, and she just, there's an utter refusal to judge them for the decisions they have to make in order to survive. And I, I, I admire that in her writing. And I think I've definitely tried to absorb some of that. And there's just this fidelity to kind of magic and like weirdness and these Mm -hmm. strange stories that she refuses to completely explain or make completely clear. And in that way, I kind of find a harbor in in black literature. They're not, you know, those, those greats, they're not super interested in explaining themselves always. They just want to take you to a world. Yeah. Let's take a quick break to talk about one of our partners. This year, we launched a new Goop travel series called The Goop List. I wanted a way to share annually what I found to be the best of the best, from my favorite places to stay in Italy to a truly special spa in Costa Rica. If you are inspired to travel more this year, perhaps because you perused our recommendations on The Goop List, hosting on Airbnb is excellent for people who frequently travel. The beauty of hosting on Airbnb is that while you're away, someone else can get as much joy from your home as you do. Alongside frequent travelers, Airbnb is also great for those who have extra space or an in-law suite that isn't always being used. If you've stayed at an Airbnb before, you know the unique experience it offers. Now you can share that same experience with others while earning some extra income. To learn more about hosting on Airbnb, head to airbnb.com slash host. Okay, let's get back to the conversation. What I find that I love so much about her work is it's it's the big stuff and the small stuff. Um, and, I, and I especially also find that in Alice Walker's, you know, it's a, it's, by the end of it, you didn't realize that it was a study and a practice in, in a greater wisdom. It's so interesting the ways in which you, you know, note Toni Morrison, especially because, your book, I mean, especially the nature of this book is, is so deeply reflective in order to be the tool that it is, which I, I love. Yes. Yeah. I'd love for you to share with the listeners kind of how you got to, because I, I do think that, and and I have so many friends like this. I have a dear friend, Phil, who went to Harvard's Divinity School. He'll, you know, the ways in which he broke away from his religious background you know, to embrace, you know, his sexuality. And then, you know, once openly gay and 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 feeling happy and in his own power and in and his truth, yearning for this, the his church and, and church life. And I'd love for you to share the journey of getting to the point of writing this book and how you kind of got there because you were there. You know, mm-hmm. you you talk about the first time you kind of went back into church. And all of the different emotions that you wrestled with. Yeah, I, I, I do think it's a shared journey for so many of us, and especially the younger generations. I think we have a rightful kind of suspicion of tradition. You know, we've seen so much that you know the veil has been lifted for us in ways that it's really hard to sit in a church pew knowing some of the history of the things that we read um you could think of the book of common prayer for example which i find a lot of beauty in but was 
in the end written by Thomas Cranmer at a time when my ancestors were being abducted and enslaved. And I have to contend with that if I'm going to read those words in, in a church pew. So for me, I had, I had been, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. My parents aren't, aren't particularly religious, but I had started attending church in college. I did no research. I happened to find myself in this predominantly white, very intellectual, for better and worse, kind of Christian space and, and a conservative one at that. And like like many young people, I think, was looking for a kind of belonging anywhere, you know. And so when you're in search of belonging, I think you do and say that you believe all kinds of things that you don't actually, when your belonging is at stake. And in many of these religious spaces, that's the case. It's if you want to be at the table, you need to confess these particular things and believe these particular things. So I tried my best to fit in line. All the while, as I told you, I was meeting Toni Morrison <laughs> and James Baldwin and Alice Walker for the first time and feeling this complete tension between the kind of open-handed, expansive spirituality and black, the Black novel specifically, and the rigidity of the white Presbyterian church pew that I was in every, you know, Sunday. And so I I kind of fled after after college. I, you know, I I, I really fled. I, I became really discontent with that kind of spirituality, but interested in, you know, God still. And I've always been a person of more doubt than certainty. And I knew I needed to find a place that would be okay with that if I was going to have any kind of honesty and what I think and believe, I needed to find a community that did not care so much what I believed any single morning. And I very thankfully found that community. It happened to be, I tell people I like fled the church and kind of ran to the artists. I ran to the writers and the poets and the painters in my life and found they just aren't threatened. They're just they're just not threatened by someone's distinctive viewpoint, or they, they could care less if I woke up one morning and, and didn't believe in God. You know, that's 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 interest to the poet. And so the more I kind of found myself in those places, the more I could kind of let my belief be whatever it is any given day. And I tell people at the end of the day, I wrote a prayer book to a God that I'm not even convinced exists. But I think there's meaning in that and there's meaning in, in the seeking and in the journey. I worked for an Episcopal church right after college and have certainly still been interested in kind of the spiritual dimension of life. But I think there are seasons where I feel safe and, you know, find a lot of meaning in learning in a church pew. And there are seasons that I don't. And this just happens to be a season where that's that's not calling out to me. I'm finding a lot more kind of spaciousness. I'm finding a lot more honesty in myself and kind of removing myself from, from those spaces. That's not to say in, in a year or in two years, I might not return, but I, I like being able to have that, um, that fluidity. I, I, I for me personally, I, I don't like feeling bound to any particular kind of spiritual demonstration or religious demonstration, although I understand that a lot of people find a lot of stability in that kind of consistency. I don't. I, I tend to feel trapped or tend to become, yeah, a dishonest person.
What's really cool about the structure of your book is that it's in part one and part two. And, and I think even what you just said is so expressive of how your book is formatted because there is something, you know, your part two is by occasion, is that what, or tradition, occasion? Um, by time, but yes. By time, that, yes. That's the idea, yes. Which I saw, I found so beautiful because I think it's always hard to search for the words for some of those specific days on on the calendar, whether it's Father's Day or Mother's Day or or whatever. And and then you have it by right? by story. Story. Can you tell me how do you know, is it kind of what you were just saying to me? Is that how you landed in kind of making sure that there were were these is this is this kind of the energy behind how you decided to structure the book so that someone could kind of come to it as they are where they are without feeling, you know, because it, it could have easily been a kind of, you know, Monday, January 1st book, then the mm-hmm. set, you know, it, I mean, very, is this kind of how you arrived at that structure? Yeah, yeah, I think, I think they are definitely involved with each other. So yes, the first section is, you know, all of the kind of shared stories that, that make us human, the, you know, mm-hmm. the sections on lament and, and rage and, and fear and mortality and, and, there are days when some of those sections will speak to people or or times in life, you know, ages that that some might speak and some might not. And so there's kind of like an enter and an exit as it as it feels right for you. And then the second section is a little bit of that, maybe what with what your friend experienced as well, this resistance in me to give up on ritual altogether. You know, it's like maybe I don't feel completely safe in all religious spaces, but there's something about the ritual that I find real beauty in, Mm -hmm. and even some Christian rituals still that I find a lot of meaning and beauty in that I wanted to incorporate as a way to say, I'm not, I'm not prepared to relinquish this altogether. You know, there Mm -hmm. are these kind of shared experiences that only exist in particular times. And so I wanted to offer some of that, some of that as well to say, there are these cycles that we exist in, you know, um, either the, you know, dawn, dawn, dusk, day, or, or whatever yeah. I call it, you know, the different cycles in the day, and then also the different cycles in the year, that it, it's kind of grounding to have, for me, it's grounding for me to have a spiritual practice kind of connected to connected to that cycle. Well, you have so many technologies in the book that lend itself to ritual, even in, 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 in both sections, really, but especially in, in your part one, you have breathing meditations, you have, you know, prayers of, of, of confession, forgiveness, benediction. I, I mean, I have so many questions about your request, you know, kind of offering for contemplation. I've been writing a lot about contemplation lately also. And, and, you know, in, in our world of kind of going from thing to thing, to thing, to thing that we don't gift ourselves room to contemplate. Therefore we struggle to be deliberate. The wait is over. That's right. Season five of The Kardashians is here. Just when you thought life couldn't get any faster, they're punching it into overdrive. Chris, Courtney, Kim, Chloe, Kendall, and Kylie are back and continue to defy expectations in all their endeavors. So get ready to go behind the glitz and glamour of the most iconic family on television. The all new season of The Kardashians premieres May 23rd, streaming on Hulu. I'd love for you to tell us why breath was so important, because I I think if someone word counted breathing or breath in this book, it would be your number one hitter. 
And I also, or, or inhale, exhale. And I love the ways in which you share that with your community online, because I do think that in the kind of doom scroll or the fast pace, um, every time I see that from you, whether it's coming directly from you or from the many, many people who follow your work and share it, I do feel this gift of pause and breath. I think I kind of have a natural, maybe not natural, but I, I'm, I think, predisposed toward disembodiment. I, as a shy child, I, I lived a lot in my head. I'm also a Virgo, so you, you will resonate. Hold on, what day? August 23rd. Oh, in August, Virgo. Mm -hmm. Yes, I'm right on the cusp. You know, I, there's a lot going on in, in the mind. There's a whole for everyone, a whole world is existing in us. It's just an, who's attuned to it and who's maybe less attuned. And I was kind of more kind of dis predisposed to the life of my mind and was not always occupying my body. And some of that is natural. Some of that is the result of, you know, of course, a society that is hell-bent on anti-Blackness and mm -hmm. doesn't really love, you know, Black, queer, disabled bodies that much. So I myself am given to disembodiment and need desperately a kind of spirituality that connects me and, and kind of brings me back home to my body. I think it's been a real risk for me to kind of live disembodied for so many years. And written prayers, so the written prayers in the book, they're they're very um, you know, it's all very cognitive. It's all, you know, I'm I'm trying to put the words together and and I, and I love that. But I reached a point in sharing on social media where I knew, you know, this just wasn't sufficient. I don't want to continue to live, lead people into kind of a disembodied spirituality. And I began to share breath practice along with each of the posts. And to me, in this season, I, I feel a lot closer to kind of breath as prayer, the, the yeah. body as prayer than any kind of articulation of what who I think God is and what I mean especially in times like this we're living through so much mass pain we always are but we have access to it on a different scale we're than witnessing it's the witnessing near and far yes yes the witness and in that witness I think a lot of us are coming up short on words as or it's like we've said everything that we could possibly say and what do you do? What does prayer look like under those conditions? And I think the body and breath can lead us to a different, can lead us to a on a different path or in a different way, connect us with both ourselves. You know, I'm connecting with my body. I'm connecting with my interior world, of course. But also I think it connects us to the world world around us when you're just in your physical space and aware of the, the, the physicality of the world in a different way. So I'm a, I'm a big fan of breath practice now. I'm probably, you know, much closer to the breath practice in the book than I am the the written prayer now. That's so interesting. It's also um, you know, something I love about your breath practice is that you're not just saying inhale one, two, three, exhale one, two, three. You're um inhaling on a affirmation, essentially. Mm -hmm. And an exhaling on an affirmation. It's almost like an inhale on like a thought and uh, exhale on an affirmation kind of. And I find that to be something that is also so helpful for, for finding embodiment. Because oftentimes I think having these kind of 
really impersonal things like one, two, three, four, five, you're all of a sudden like, am I a person? Am I a breathing <laughs> thing akin to a tree and a flower and the grass and the, and the dirt and, and all these very alive natural forces, or am I a computer? Am I, am I a machine? It's actually even, you know, a lot of the times that I'm writing, I, um, my favorite word on the planet is beloved. I end so many of my poems with that as a way to embody as I hope my readers can embody themselves because there is just such tenderness in that word. And there's so much love in that and hearing that. So if someone's saying those last five words to you and then they call you beloved, there's something about it that is so warm. Mm -hmm. And in that warmth, you feel so tender and like, maybe you're not okay right now, but perhaps hope and is possible and okayness is possible. And I really receive that so much in your work, in, in your breath work. And I would encourage all of our listeners to try some of these breathing meditations because they are so kind of easeful. I wouldn't even say simple, but they're, they have so much ease in them and they are truly so helpful. I mean, I, I, I have friends who on their hardest days have, you know, said this got one of your breathwork meditations got them through it. And it is a different type of meditating that I think is very unique to you also, because it's not really something I think meditation is another thing people say you do incorrectly or correctly. Mm -hmm. um, I've, I've definitely gotten to like one or two arguments with somebody who is very strict about what meditating is. And I, and I always say that as long as there is a relationship to conscious breath, you are meditating. Mm -hmm. washing the dishes, going on a walk, focusing on one simple sentence of okayness. And, and so I, I am specifically really grateful for, for those in the book and Thanks. online. Thank you. I want to talk about why you wanted to focus on confession and forgiveness in part one. Mm. Well, it's um a little bit in me because of the religious spaces I, I occupied in the past, but I wanted to reimagine them because I think there was beauty, there is beauty and meaning in kind of the tools of confession and forgiveness that you see in religious spaces. It just so happens that they can be weaponized against people to make them feel, you know, anything but beloved. And so I, I wanted to think, okay, of a kind of confession, you know, June Jordan has this um, line where she says to tell the truth is to become beautiful mm -hmm. and she says that's political in the most profound way actually just tell the truth about about who you are and um and i i like that kind of presentation of confession as a as a truth telling that really is about realizing the beautiful in you as opposed to kind of honing so much on the the, the, the terrible or the, or the grotesque. There are people who believe, many people who believe that kind of human's disposition or original disposition is is sinful. Mm -hmm. And then it's the divine's task to, to bring us out of that into kind of glory or, or beauty. I resist that a bit. I, I have a lot of questions about that and much more prefer the story of our kind of inherent beauty and, and dignity and that when we do something out of alignment with, you know, beauty and dignity, that's actually out of alignment with our true selves. That's not a demonstration of our true selves. I know others would disagree with me, but I, I think there's a form of confession that can 
be honest, but but still kind and still dignity affirming. And then also a kind of forgiveness that um, I think we keep from ourselves. And a lot of time in a lot of times in religious spaces, we practice kind of this cosmic forgiveness or, you know, this personified yep. God forgiving us. And I mean, I love that, but also at times I feel that's very hard to receive. I have a lot of doubts and questions about about what's happening in that kind of transaction yeah. when a priest says you're forgiven I, I think okay you know um I think there are those of us that doesn't really free us of of anything because we haven't yet forgiven ourselves yeah. and because in the big stuff love forgiveness there's the abstract the big energy and there's the practical day-to-day mm -hmm. which is why I think forgiveness prayers are so critical whether it um Gwyneth always makes fun of me because I love the Hawaiian forgiveness prayer, but it's like, I love any prayer that has to do with forgiveness because it is something that we have to consciously practice to say. And, 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 and there's so many, you have so many words on this in your book, but kind of forgiving this experience, you know, sending the offering of your energy of forgiveness, releasing it, giving yourself the relief, um, you know, removing it from your body, you know, and, and, and that day-to-day -day practice is what really feeds the abstract kind of wisdom, understanding, God, higher energy of it all, I find. Yes. Yeah. I think that's really beautiful. And, and to know that, you know, us withholding that forgiveness or that it, it, it's it's not achieving any kind of repair or healing, mm -hmm. even though we think by continuing to punish ourselves or the longer we kind of berate ourselves about a wrong, it will somehow, you know, help toward absolution. It's just not reality that that actually shame does is, a, I think shame's a distraction mm -hmm. and it serves no one, not the, the wrong you've done in the world or yourself. And the less people we have operating out of kind of sh shamed states, I think the, the better we are. Well, because the more free we are. I mean, that exactly. shame is a non-freedom. I have so many things I want to ask you. And something I thought was so beautifully written are your words on dignity. And I'd love for you to kind of um, talk about why you wanted to open the book speaking on, I love the scene of you and, and your um, partner at the time or current partner writing this book and your your own kind of reflections on dignity uh, because I think dignity is a word like vulnerability we hear often and we're not really sure how to define mm -hmm. and you really gave such a beautiful and wide definition of, of dignity so that I think many people could find themselves in it could you talk to me a little bit about it yes I, I feel like I needed to start with dignity because you have to believe, you have to believe on some level that you're worthy of liberation, that you're worthy of freedom in order for you to, to move in that direction, which is ultimately, I think, what this book, the project of this book is kind of spiritual freedom, um, interior liberation. But if you don't believe it, if you don't believe you're worthy of it, then you become acquainted with, you know, all kinds of chains, all kinds of, you know, forms of, of bondage. And so to me, dignity is a belief in an inherent value in, in every person, including myself. And that it, it's, for me, it's wrapped up in a lot of mystery, that it's not something that can be overly explained or, or articulated, but, or, or even proven or diminished 
you know, in, in that way. But it's something that is inherent. It's a way to say that, you know, I, I have I value that I add something to the fabric of the universe just in my very existence. And 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 when you begin from that place, as opposed from the place that we often begin in our spiritual spaces, which is a space of self-loathing, of like what you need, or a, a space of deficiency. I mean, you know, people talk about this hole in them, or you know, and so then I went and and sought out God or the divine, and instead to start from a place of, you know, fullness and beauty and dignity, I think absolutely changes how we you know approach this the spiritual. And approach each other. Yeah. Well, what I also love about that is when you the way I hear the word dignity the most in culturism, in in someone being charitable, right? So they saying, when you do this, you give someone dignity, or you do mm -hmm. they, I think that that's just how it's most commonly used. I think in the grand kind of pop culture way or or news culture, whatever. Um, and what your words really reminded me is that every single person has a dig dignity and and what you're helping is to kind of affirm their dignity. Exactly. You can't give someone dignity and you actually hear those words all the time. I've heard that <laughs> sentence so many times that they yes. gave me dignity and, and actually someone's kindness, generosity, love, tenderness, acknowledgement affirms your dignity, affirms your worth, affirms <laughs> that you are here on purpose and we are not an accident. Mm -hmm. So yes. I was really grateful for that because I, I needed the reminder of that language. Um, I, I think that there's so many, um, something I love about the way that you formatted this book is that you really focus on having your reader kind of remember the real reason we have language and certain words to things so that when it has gotten overused in these other ways that are have become kind of soulless or kind of, you know, morally corrupt or whatever, you, you're really kind of taking it back and putting it into a place of, you know, a real blessing. And, and, and I was so grateful for that in reading it. So thank you. Mm, thank you. And, and thank you so much for your time today and for joining us and for this beautiful New York times bestselling book. Congratulations. Thank you. Two time New York Times bestseller. I am so excited for people to have this book in their homes and gift it to any of their friends. If you if you know someone who's, especially I think someone who's going through a hard time or has a lot of space for contemplation in their life right now and has a lot of room um, to explore the mystery of their own interior. I, I so, I really couldn't recommend this book enough. If you want to help a friend out. So Cole, thank you so much for writing this and thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Thank you as ever for listening to today's pod conversation with Cole Arthur Riley. I hope you'll pick up a copy of her beautiful book, Black Liturgies. Thanks for tuning in. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13 Studios. I hope you'll listen, follow, rate, and review all of our episodes, which are available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Odyssey, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening to The Goop Podcast.